question, I mentioned that apart from the physical body, there are also other bodies such as the emotional body, the energy body, plus some others. Could you elaborate on these bodies? Um, hmm. Well, in this sense, in the spiritual and contemplative traditions, we don't, the body, body really means something you're living within. For yourself, you're living within it. Mm-hmm. So you can have a body of knowledge, for example. And uh, the word kaya, in, in Buddhism you have something like nama kaya, rupa kaya. Rupa kaya, form body, nama kaya, name body. Name body means the body of, uh, of designations, I think nama. So this way, we live in a we live in a body of designations of impressions, uh, interpretations, um, activations, perceptions, feelings. Um, you know, nama. Uh, what what all that does, nama. Nama attention. Intention, attention, focus, intention, certain motivation, contact impressions. Feeling, perception. So without that, where would you be? So, where would you be without? So, it's not just one, but the the, the bonding of the, all of them together. So, okay. So, something. If there's attention, it means that there's that. So, there's a sense of holding. You know, when we have attention, it holds an object. So we feel, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm holding this object. A sense of, yeah, you know, I'm attentive. That's only just a little element of it. Intention is a sense of. I'm alive, I'm you know, doing something, feeling, I'm getting feedback from it, meaning, I'm in this country, I'm uh, whatever, you know, my ideology or religion or however I designate, you know, the meanings I have in my life and uh, contact impressions are constantly, you're here, you're here, here, this is touching you. So all these Kilometer together give us the sense of living in a world, right? Yeah. Do you understand? Now, if there were no contact, so imagine floating in outer space, you may be no contact. How would you know where you were? I mean, first of all, no physical contact. What about no visual contact? How would you, how would you know where you were, right? So, so that gives a sense of a location. I'm in this. I'm in an experience of sound, sight, touch. I'm somehow in all this. Right? So that's so. Then you're in that. 
a body of contact. And mean meaning, oh, this is soft, this is warm, comfortable, sharp, bright, uh, happy, unhappy. So that's, yeah, yeah, now, yeah, it's got some flavor to it. Without that, yeah, how, how do we feel we are anywhere? So that, that becomes a kind of like your, your body in a sense of you're in that. And no matter where you go physically on the planet, you're always in, in that realm of contact, impressions, sights, sounds, touches, feelings, and so forth. Now imagine any of that goes. Where are we? So, but when you, so that, that's, you could say, is a, is a namakaya, a body of, body of designations, of impressions. And any one of them can go, and any one of them are all changeable. Right? You don't have the same contact, contact changes. You don't have the same sights, sound, they all change. And yet still, even though they're changing in, in, in um, specifically the general impression comes of I'm in this. So that body of, of knowing, of, of designations, locates you, locates a self within it. Okay? Now, if we, <coughs> the anatomical body or rupakaya, uh, which again, though we may say, oh yeah, I, am, I have this body, yeah. Well, is, are you sure? Uh, so, how about your gallbladder? Do you know you have that? You maybe think it, uh, you know. But most of it isn't there for you. You may get a sense of some pressure, oh, you know, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of warmth. Um, so even if you look at a physical body, then you don't see all of it. You don't see the, the viscera, the lungs, the heartbeat, which are pretty important. So, you know, the, the anatomical body Although we might say, oh, yeah, this is really concrete, material, definitely go to a doctor, get it sorted out, that's my body. It's like the Namakaya, it's a body of <laughs> fabrication. In terms of your, you feel you're in one, but actually it's, it's, a, it's a kind of changing collage of impressions. And yet... There's a reference to it. Energy body, there's uh, vitality, sluggishness, bright vitality, strong vitality, low vitality, pouring through the limbs, the skin, or only certain areas of the body. Uh, There can be uh, energy associated with sense contact, energy associated with stimulation, Arousal, stimulation, passion, emotion. So, and yet, in all of it, although you in this constant realm of vitality and energy, all of it's changeable, isn't it? We don't have. You don't not. It's not solid. It's changing, flexing all the time, and yet you're in that. 
or you, you experience being in that. You experience being in that. But the that that you're in, that, that energy body or that anatomical body or that designation body is constantly shifting and changing. So what are you in? How solid is the one who's in it? Is there anybody in it? <laughs> the emotional body. So uh, it's not that these things shouldn't be uh, contemplated and um, examined because they can have, uh, as you know, the physical body can give you extreme distress if it's not cared for. And same with your energy body. If you're not, it can get very ragged and jagged, get nervous, jittery tangles or stagnant, or irregular, up and down, you know, overcharged and then undercharged, hyper and hypo. So you want to actually sort of groom it. (laughs) Yeah, because somehow it's going to, even though it's all changeable, it's still affecting and causing causing effects the emotional body is the same we live in an emotional body sometimes we feel pretty calm comfortable a little bit fretful or inspired and happy or stressed or worried concerned, irritated saddened regretful uh, loved, not loved and we dwell in that you can walk, you know you can move out in a day feeling like you know, very sad and disgruntled, and you're in that, or the opposite. So these all these bodies that we live within are all changeable, and uh, uh, and need to be attended to, so that they not they, you know. There's a liberation from them. Because if they're sort of out of, if they're, dis, if they're not in harmony, then you get this so much discord, emotional discord, like in a conflict, in conflict with, emotionally in conflict with other emotions, like. Oh, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm trying to pick myself up, or I'm really excited and happy, I really want this to happen, but at the same time I don't feel confident. This is the right thing. So you get all kinds of emotional discord, or sometimes the emotional body is not in harmony with the energy body, yeah, or the energy body is not in harmony with the physical body, busting with energy, you know, but your physical body is, um, you're running it down, you're just moving too hard, you're pushing yourself too hard. Um, so these have to be kept in harmony. And if in harmony, then you don't get the constant discord and, and um, um, need to keep sort of dealing with them. The idea is that they're sort of, sort of settled enough, settled enough, because that's what you feel yourself to be in. But when they're settled enough, then your awareness, oh, 
that's just so it's no longer having to deal with all kinds of things so it's a sense in which it becomes stable and we can review that's an energy that's an emotion that's a thought that's a feeling that's a and so then there can be that liberation from it. But they do become they do become overwhelming. They 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 create a self within them who becomes the uh person who's sort of stuck in it. <laughs> So our practice is one of uh, working with it and uh, so that there can be that loosening and freedom from it. And they do all in the emotional body and the energy body particularly are, are close together. So we can use our, our energy to steady the emotions, our emotions to calm the energy. And so this, these two particularly are helpful cultivations in order to bring around a sort of a, a, a release. They're not tangled. Then you get, you know. And for sure, if your emotional body, your energy body are out of, are in disharmony, it's going to affect your physical body. You know, you get, because this creates um, neurochemicals and uh, uh, adrenaline and kind of saturations of imbalanced chemicals and imbalanced energy. So the body, physical body starts to, to suffer and uh, get damaged because your energy and your emotions aren't in harmony. Yeah. Kind of obvious, isn't it? Really, why we people burn out through stress, um, you know, nervous breakdown, broken heart. The emotional body is considered re shattered, broken heart, uh, and so the heart organ, particularly, is actually when you get a severe emotional collapse, what we call heartbreak. Um, it has this effect on the nervous system whereby the physical heart itself contracts. You know, so, so people could, can actually die of a broken heart. And so the emotional body, energy, what affects the nervous system, that affects the physicality. And again, if we, if we consider it, the Nama body, the Nama Kaya, what we believe in, what we see as our reality, our world, this can be ideological, political, religious, and you realize the amount of damage that can be done by being fixated on the nama, on the naming of things, on the designations of things. Do you understand? You know, how people can uh, fight over the name of God, for example. <laughs> Or which God is the best one or the right one. <laughs> so you create something called God and then fight over it. 
of the name of it or the designation of it or the right way of attending to it or who's got the correct attitude towards it. So it's, this is because that, that nama becomes your world. And, and the Buddha <laughs> said, nama covers everything. The world is tangled in nama. Nama is like a net that covers everything. The world is is dominated by nama, dominated by our beliefs, our prejudices, our customs, our attitudes, our resistances, our views, our fixations, our obsessions, our resistance, our blind spots. <laughs> that generates our our world, you know that we live in. And of course, then you meet somebody who's got a living in a different world and crack, you get the collisions occurring because they've got a different set of nama. Okay, do you understand? That makes sense? Yeah. So that one has to be tamed understood it, it's, it's fabricated. And, you know, and the thing is that people hold on to it because it, cause we're in it. So it gives me a sense of, this is what I belong to. I'm one of these. I live in this. This is the truth. This is the reality. I get excited by it. I'm motivated by it. You know? And that's what I am. I'm definitely this set of views and opinions and attitudes, and you get fundamentalists. And the fundamentalist is lost without their without their belief system. Because, as I said, you know, where are you without your your namas? <laughs> and a fundamentalist, someone who's deeply insecure, <laughs> need to have a very fixed and rigid set of namas to 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 hold themselves together. Hold a sense of self together. Yeah. Hold their self together. This is so why it's so crucial, this understanding of Nata. What self is there to hold together? Now clearly we you know, oh we, you know, I feel lost, I feel disoriented, I feel if you help, give me something to hold on to. So, breathe. <laughs> you don't need a Nama to breathe. Because <laughs> there it is, you've got the rupakaya and the energy body. Right? And then you don't have to have a belief system or belong to a political party or know the name of God or whatever or argue over it because you've got that. Uh, you know. <laughs> and then if you want, you know, okay, well, so from there, something like that, well, then what would my belief system be? What would I. Say as a worldview, say, well, harmony, because breathing is harmonious, it's free, it's vitalizing, uh, everybody has it. End of conflict. You know, we all, we're all breathers. We all belong to the, to the religion of belief, breathing. I'm a con- committed breather. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But then, so what more security do you want? Well, how about security? How about 
don't harm me and I won't harm you. That's a good one. <laughs> you want a really simple religion? Don't harm me and I won't harm you. Don't lie to me and I won't lie to you. Yeah. How about that? That's good enough, isn't it? So you kind of, you realize that's pretty, <laughs> it encompasses a lot, doesn't it? You can extend that to cover, you know, even a fly. <laughs> So then, you see the body of wisdom. We live in a body of wisdom. We can live in that. Wisdom is what? It's wisdom sense of, look, let's get sensible. <laughs> this isn't that esoteric. Let's get sensible. Violence is bad. <laughs> Fix it. Tolerance is good. You know, we all breathe. Everybody fears pain, and let's not cause it. Everybody, you know, feels distress. Let's not cause it. Let's be cured. Let's be part of the cure rather than part of the problem. This is wisdom. Let's end the suffering. You know, we may think wisdom is some kind of esoteric thing, but actually Buddhist wisdom is just how to end suffering and stress. Is that so, you know, what's Buddhist about that? And they're kind of like, we're the only people who believe in ending stress and suffering. <laughs> Everybody wants to do it. <laughs> so it's not a kind of ideological position, it's just a realistic human need. <laughs> and then addressing that through wisdom rather than belief. Body of wisdom. How does a sotapanna, stream enterer, still have conceit as a fetter that they have uprooted self-view. So here we're getting into a bit of parlance, Buddhist terminology, so tapana is a much treasured term. One who has um, fully entered into the uh, uh, recognition of Dhamma, of uh, um, there being, if you like, a wisdom body <laughs> to dwell in. We're not just scrabbling around wondering what on earth's going on and where to go. We've got something like this. I feel, you know, I can trust this. Um, I mean, something that's, that's uh, uh, I have trust and confidence and freedom from doubt or freedom from lack of confidence. One is confident. Yeah, and for this means we are, for this because this goes along with, well, so doubt, this lack of confidence means lack of confidence, you don't really have something that just speaks that you, oh, that's right, it's absolutely true. It speaks for itself. I don't have to prove it or convince myself. It's just, there it is, you know. So we realize that something, you know, what is it, ending a suffering or release from suffering, stress, and begin a sense of goodness, what goodness is, what clarity is, how these are not personal possessions, these are not just my ideas. Right? Okay, so, so Dipana, some a being who has um, come out of uh, these what are called fetters, that means we we no longer have to have believe anything because we know something. You know, we're not 
trying to figure something out because something speaks for itself. The elements, for example. Um, And so the fetters are, first of all, the sakaya ditti, the sense of personality view, it's sometimes called that, which means this the personality is a social construction. When we are first born, we don't have much of a personality. We just kind of, it's kind of like quite vulnerable and just open, you know, and sort of sensing and feeling what's going on. Clearly, we can't think very much. We haven't got the thinking system together. So it's just, well, wow, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain. Okay. But then, uh, as you as you're growing up, you're recognizing, boy, oh, thinking this is me. This is part of me. Oh, look at that, you know. <laughs> and then you know other people. So you, then you start. That's that's a, that's all. Oh, that's mother. That's father. That's so you start to model according to your parents' approval or disapproval. So this modeling and shaping, which goes on through your life, creates various set of um, attitudes and dispositions and emotional characteristics that become our personality. Our personality is then socially constructed. What makes me socially acceptable? What makes me socially disapproved of? What makes me uh, other, you know, uh, feel comfortable with others, not frightened, uh, or makes me competent in a social world. All these become aspects of uh, you know, personality. And it's often you know, internalized, it's kind of thinking things through. And the personality is trying to control what behavior to, to it's doing the right thing. Uh, Personality is kind of, kind of like behind the thinking, trying to make sure I do the right, the right thing or okay thing or whatever. Yeah. And the personality is, of course, challenged because of various emotions that actually don't aren't quite the right thing. We feel angry or jealous or lose our temper or get obsessed with craving for something, so the personality can't actually cope with what the chitta is doing. <laughs> now, the way the personality operates is to create a set of, of what are called systems and customs, customs, conventions, rules, precepts, beliefs, that give it a sense of, okay, I know where I am because I do this and this and this and this and then everything's okay. I do this and this and this. As long as I pay for this and go turn up this at eight o'clock and say this to this person and do this correct piece of behavior, I'll be okay. So we get these systems and customs that that people get. And of course it changes. Uh, You know, what's the way, they might say, what's the proper behavior for a a man or a woman or a boss or a wife, husband, secretary. You get systems and customs that you've got to do to be acceptable. So the unawakened being is very much always monitoring all this, trying to keep in touch with all this. They never really feel confident because they're constantly having to do their life and work it out all the time. 
Yeah. So the first stage of realization is something beyond my personality. Something can actually notice my personal movements of my mind and, and just, you know, there she is, there he is, and um, step out of it, yeah. Steps out of it and is able to feel it and observe it and also no longer get so con- convinced by it. It becomes more flexible and then realizes something beyond them, their personality, yeah. So they, to that extent, they've, they've had quite a breakthrough. But there are other stages of, of realization, what's called anatta. And um, so one is, the, you know, the, the being feels themselves uh, very much uh, threatened by displeasure and attracted by pleasure. And pull towards pleasure. This is very fundamental jitta experience. Pull towards pleasure, repelled by displeasure, either psychological, or uh, tactile, or sensual, or even subtle meditative pleasure. And someone recognizes, oh, you know, all that being pulled and pushed is a bit stressful. When I just get beyond feeling. Or it doesn't mean I don't feel, but I'm no longer pushed and pulled by it. They've cultivated some equanimity. They're not searching for pleasant feeling or running away from unpleasant feeling. Now, so this person asks about conceit. Conceit is conceiving oneself to be something. So if you conceive yourself to be a sotapanna, that's conceit. If you conceive yourself not to be a sotapanna, that's conceit. <laughs> if you conceive yourself, you think, oh, I'm one of these. How long will it be before I'm one of those? Will I ever be one of those? So all this is conceiving oneself, right? Manyati, mana, it's called. Or I'm probably halfway to being sotapanna, but he's not, nowhere near it. Or... She's really gone beyond Sotapanna, she's way up there and I'm down here, you know, so also comparing oneself with others or, you know, one conceives other people to be something or we conceive ourselves to be something. What, what are you, what's happening? Who's being created in that? And so when they're conceiving, it creates a person who's shaped by that, that concept, Right? I am not a sotapanna, that's who I am. That's conceit. It's not necessarily a happy experience. <coughs> what are you talking about? Who? Who is that? Uh, it's a set of emotions and reactions, isn't it? And the desire to know oneself as being something. I want to know who I am. Why? Well, can't you just be who you are? Why do you need to know who you are? (laughs) Because it gives us a sense of security. But it's not secure. Because as soon as you conceive yourself as something, you think, well, I could be better than that. 
Yeah. Or why am I, I'm like this, why am I like this and not like that? Or since I'm like this, how can I be, be like that? I used to be like this, now I'm like that. When will what will I be next? See, so we're still generating this kind of what's called becoming by creating a person or an entity who's measured according to some set of values. And what is that action? And how useful is it? Now, okay. Isn't it better to say that emotion when followed goes there? That intention when followed goes there. That <laughs> yeah. That action, when abstained from, leaves this. That energy, when absorbed into, gives rise to this. So rather than conceiving a phantom self, we're just working with the reality of these various elements, properties, qualities, khandhas, aggregates, namas, as they arise and pass. And then it's actually much more accurate and specific and unencumbered by the sense of I am this. Because if you create I am this, there's a bias, isn't there? If I am this, then either I want it to stay, which it won't, or I want it to change and be something else. So you're getting craving coming in. So a true practitioner doesn't believe in a future, doesn't believe in becoming anything. I mean, things will change, of course. That's the nature of things to change. But the idea that I will become something else is a bit of a complication that creates stress. So the more we really get these senses, just becoming more clear about subtler and subtler, more pernicious and more fundamental ways in which unconsciously suffering gets generated. Because, you know, this is so normal as to say, well, who are you then? And you'll say, well, I'm da-da-da-da-da, you give a set of names, and I would do the same thing. Because that's what we do, but actually... Who is that? Uh, it's just names, moods, appearances, concepts, emotions. Who is that? Uh, right? You know. So we don't. So this, so this actually that just creates uh, an unnecessary entity that becomes a burden because once I've conceived myself as being something I'm going to decide what to do with it <laughs> and isn't it better just to, to sense this emotion needs to be calmed <laughs> this emotion needs to be encouraged isn't it more accurate to just to do that yeah. Uh, learn how to do that. So then this is the, uh, 
you know, begin to relinquish that sense of this is what conceit is about. Yeah. So someone says there's a very strong not enough mind, like not still enough, not alert enough, not calm enough, not practicing enough during the practice. How am I shift this negativity to a more positive chanda motivation? Uh, one must recommend very thoroughly the quality of of Dhamma Vijaya exploration. Uh, it's a fundamental enlightenment factor called Dhamma Vijaya exploring, exploring the not enough. Yeah. So not still enough. Okay, it means one wishes for one wishes for greater stillness. One wishes for greater stillness. Okay. That wish for greater stillness, okay, does that have the does that have the ability to create it? Yeah. Yeah, so wish for greater stillness, if that's what you wish for, try to understand why you wish for it, what what you're seeking. Ending of suffering and stress. Ending of suffering and stress, this is the thing. So the realistic, so just beginning to sense, well, first of all, ending of suffering and stress means craving for something that isn't here is suffering. Craving for something that isn't here, wanting something that isn't here to be here, is already suffering. If it's a feeling of something feels unfulfilled, Maybe I just need to put more little open into that and explore. Yeah, you know, what does the chitta need? Not what does it want. What's needed? Might say first things needed perhaps is acceptance of how it is now. Acceptance of how it is now. And that is not a passive kind of give up, resignation. It's an actual, I want to receive you. Please come. Like a willing attitude towards jitta. Please, Please present. And if it comes and it feels fretful and unsteady and agitated, then rather than I want you to be another way, you say, okay, what is needed is some comforting, some loosening, some loving kindness is needed. So we become the one who responds to these cries of the heart, not the one who um, follows them, but responds to them. You know, it's like a little toddler, three-year-old, I want one of those, I want one of those, I want want one of those, I want one of those, 
I want one of those, you know. So what's needed is just, just relinquish, you know, and some kindness and steadiness and settling. Because we can behave like adults towards our, our unfulfilled yearning. Hmm. That does require some motivation you know, to, to, to respond to this sense of inadequacy because the personality is always inadequate and uh, conditions always are unsatisfactory. But the great heart extends in order to not resist and not adopt the unsatisfactory as myself. The one that it's not enough is not myself, it's just a program. It's not, not actually myself, it's just a program of agitated chitta. The agitated chitta needs goodwill. How can we measure our spiritual progress? Well, sense of overall um, what you're able to leave behind. <laughs> so I said, there's a saying with walking meditation, you walk, as you're walking, you're leaving behind. You're leaving behind. You're leaving behind. So, you know, as we uh, even you kind of you look into this, even the Buddhist terminology, it's always about what's been freed from, what we've left behind. We've left behind doubt. We've left behind aggression. We've left behind intoxication. We've left that behind. We've left that behind. We've left behind regret. We've left behind. We've walked past our guilt and fear. We've left behind our self-criticism and agitation. We've given up fantasies. <laughs> so the more you, you know, you, you can see the progress. It's more useful to think not of I've got this, I've got that, which can be a little bit deluded and inflationary. Just think of what you've dropped. <laughs> That's more more sane and more safe. And generally, you think you can because. You know, am I a sotapanam? Don't worry, just think of you don't harm creatures. Good for you. Most people kill each kill creatures. You know. You don't swear, you don't abuse, you don't drink, you've left that behind. Just count those and to that extent my mind is liberated from ignorance and craving. What a blessing. That's how you measure if you need to measure. And it gives you a sense of comfort and contentment and accuracy. This path is the way out of suffering. It's not the way into something, it's the way out. What we enter grows ever more mysterious and ineffable as 
we leave more and more things behind until we really have no way of defining it apart from peaceful okay I'll leave you there for today